Next item is a rare find with a mistake in the printing. Only three of them in the world were ever produced. Bidding will start at five hundred dollars. Hey, we're gonna five hundred, 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 five Oh man, I'm better than that. So long, I'm better. Oh, I miss it so much. I'm better. Oh, I bet they kiss all the time. I bet they. I bet they're taking a long walk. Seven of them. 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 First, I should mention the Junk Show will be back in 2019. It's always the second Sunday of every month at the Copper Still on Beverly Boulevard. Good to see Matthew Clement in town recently. He's been to like two or three of the shows, and uh, always nice to see a familiar face. There are people that live here in Los Angeles that haven't been out to the show as frequently as him. Nice to have a chat afterward as well. So if you're in L.A., stop on by and mention that you listen to The Space Cave It'd be nice to, to say hello. Okay, let's get into some hardcore chatting. This is part one with Tim Furlong. Enjoy. Ooh, not my best Foley work there because I started it before recording and then I only got the final pop there, not the like the lead up creaking that you like <laughs> when opening a beer. Uh, and this beer, finally getting to drink it, you don't know the whole backstory. Well, you kind of know the backstory because I was telling you that's from Baltimore. But um, Andy Crest, Krestovsky, the musician, 
to uh, to those who listen to the show all the time. He's we played a bunch of his songs on the show. Sent some beer. Very very rarely do people send beer to the show, but I really appreciate it. And it's just been sitting there because either people have not been drinkers or they didn't want to drink IPAs. So and so I kept waiting. Which is real tough, having delicious foreign beer in the refrigerator. You know, like, we've come, come home from, you know, evenings out and stuff, when you're like, oh, I'd like to have one more beer. And I'm like, oh, oh, that. And I, so I did, a, I did a good job not touching it. And uh, this, it's, the can is pretty nondescript. It's got kind of like a nan there. I'll take a picture. That'll be on the website or whatnot. But... Uh, anyway, thank you to Andy. I'm excited to finally get into this with Tim Furlong. Uh, and we, speaking of evenings out, we met at an evening out that was here in town, which is the best, but it was also a wedding. So it got, you get the feeling of like being out for a night on the town, but it, you didn't have to, you know, buy a hotel room and flights and all the business. They usually go along with when, when someone sends you a save the date, they're just saying like, hey, I'd like you to have a couple thousand fewer dollars. <laughs> oh and i'm in love oh good i'm glad you're in love let me do all that and get you a gift and see you for maybe 30 seconds at the wedding this will be it so i, I have a negative the novelty's worn off for you it has too many of them this year i think we went to like five weddings this year all pleasant all great it's the collective idea of a wedding so like when you run into people and they go, but you liked our wedding right like, yeah genuinely did very few weddings that you don't like as far as like the atmosphere and stuff but that price point would i pay all that just to go and briefly say hello to you as then you go oh i gotta go say hi to my uncle i'll be right back and you never see them again that part is weird to me it's it transcends logic <laughs> it i mean i did didn't you and i talk about this a little bit uh, i mean i i you go along saying these things now mm-hmm. and then you start planning a wedding yeah and, and you go and you and you fall right into it you have, you you find yourself unwittingly doing everything that you said you would never do. Yeah, Jake, whose wedding, or I guess, um, yeah, I mean, you know Jake a little bit, but mm-hmm. so your wife is more so friends with Jake, right? Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, he and I uh, talked about that, and everyone does. It's like um, I had a friend. This is maybe too off the topic or too tangential, but I think it's the same. Where someone, you know, they say the same thing about kids, and then a friend of mine. Um, had a miscarriage, which is pretty common. I've almost, well, I wouldn't say all, but a lot of my friends who now have kids at some point had a miscarriage. And I was trying to be comforting, to be comforting. And I was, I was younger. Uh, but she's someone that I had, we joked about these sort of people become, become so weird when they have kids. So you can talk about it from one side, weddings are the same way. And then they have kids and they become that thing where you're like, but you were, we used to laugh at this. We used to make fun of people that would do this. Whether, whether, whatever that behavior is. And so she had a miscarriage and I was like, don't worry, but you can make another one. There's 7 billion people on the planet. It's pretty common. Something like that that's a little too callous, but also like uh, someone I had a rapport with and had known for a long time thinking like, yeah, she's, and it did not go great. And so it was like, it took some time to repair our friendship a little bit, which I totally understood, but I was like, right, I'm dealing with someone who's now on the other side. Previously, when they were just a... Um, you know, a degenerate single person, they would have been like, yeah, come on. But totally different. isn't a joke inherently a distancing device, right? Or, I mean, it's the same. It's it's, it's something to pull people back and give them a bit of perspective. But I I guess I say that in the sense that 
A, it was a woman, and B, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there is a, you know, I, I don't know, uh, that you don't want to, that, like, they want to feel it, like, when people want to feel things, and you try to pull them back from feeling it, it's mm-hmm. like, like, only yeah. after a certain point of, like, like, only if you... It, there's there's two things. A, maybe your relationship wasn't as good as you thought it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because had it been, and had you endured like long bouts and long rounds mm-hmm. of wallowing and self pity, yeah, there can come a point when you can be like, all right, already. Yeah. But as a social tactic in order to get on to the next topic <laughs> with somebody <laughs> who you know casually, uh, or at least. Uh, I guess in a, a sense of kind of an adult relationship, um, professional or otherwise, yeah, it's dangerous ground you're treading on. Oh, definitely. And yeah, you're right. We had been thick as thieves, and then me traveling a lot and stand up and stuff, and just not seeing each other as much. And then this was one of those big life moments. Hey, give me a call. Something big happened, and so trying to like even over the phone do it. So it wasn't even like we were sitting there and hey, good to see you, old friend. Here are my thoughts, and you can see people's. Uh, body language and maybe decide which jokes to tell or or see you know they can see and how you're telling it how how you mean it and so yeah that that is weird to think about that way that you know like a little distance from it and a little maybe not as great of a rapport as you think you have with somebody i don't know do you but as you get older it seems like you know as a comedian don't you feel that like the list of topics available topics kind of get gets smaller and smaller or like the way in which you approach them i mean things you would have joked about as um you know a man of 22 is certainly different than what you're gonna do at like 33 or 43 i think so i think maybe everyone goes through that where whether it's your the things you're consuming you know like i want to read all these kind of books or i got i want to get really into this or music or whatever you're pouring through if if you're medium if you're a painter and you maybe you just only ever want to use oil paints but maybe at some point you're like i want to sculpt or i want to and i think in comedy when people figure out how to write like a joke like man i i made that funny you know sometimes it's just immediate like someone says something and then you have an idea that pops in and you go oh i should explore that that's a funny premise da 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 but other times i think people sit down and are kind of like can i make this funny and then a lot of i think comedians that are like 3 or 4 years in are really working on like how can i make this emphysema joke or this, <laughs> this horrific cancer or like special needs or yeah. all these kind of buzzwords that i think everyone goes through that a little bit yeah and then you and i think i always thought authors you know like as they get older the and maybe it's more common now to try to like this is an affectation but it did seem like the big cardigans on the book jacket, like they're covered, like the, everyone just hopefully becomes a little bit more benevolent as they get older. And like, I want to say these things, but I mean them as like a warning mm-hmm. as opposed to like, take that. How do you feel now? I think mm-hmm. people as they get older want less and less to like relax. It was just a joke. Like, well, maybe that the need for that spike in blood pressure doesn't do as much as we thought it did or you thought it did or, that it's not necessary to like woke you assholes up, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that, yeah, that's exactly it. I think you get older. I mean, everybody su- suffers disappointment, right? And I think that it's impossible to see somebody else's disappointment as, you know, anything different from your own, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, and then you have it, and then 
Now you're in the crowd or you're backstage and you see a comedian go up there and do a joke and you go, hey, hey man, my, my wife and I just had a miscarriage. And the person's like, oh, I'm 22. I've, yeah. Either I've had a bunch of them and I'm past it, with my, which is unlikely, or just I haven't really – all the things in life that um, the people in the crowd are hopefully not going to hear about at a show, I haven't suffered them. And I have this joke that I think is funny about it and then – there are privileges of youth. Um, I was talking uh, through a friend of a friend. I was talking to this um, this guy who had been involved or produced Napoleon Dynamite, and, and he was saying, you know, they had been approached about doing a sequel, mm-hmm. and um, he was like, "Well, you know, a Napoleon Dynamite in college seems kind of pathetic, yeah. but Napoleon Dynamite at, at that age." was perfect and I think that yeah I think that we don't sometimes acknowledge kind of how things age on us or how how certain certain topics there are privileges of youth and privileges of old age like things you will endure just because somebody is old or somebody is young yeah Um, and you know nothing can be separated from its context right Mm -hmm. yeah that's such the lens that we look through that we're like subconsciously I guess aware of, but more likely we're make, we're giving passes, you know, like, ah, this person's so young. Like, yeah, they're saying some rough stuff, but ah, look at them. They're so young. You know, you give it, you give a pass of like, or someone might say, Hey, Hey youngster too far. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you get a couple crow's feet on your face and then all of a sudden you should know better. I mean, and I think that's why it, at least in comedy, to be a kind of mature, to, to be the, the least sympathetic uh, individual or, you know, a completely capable, educated, privileged person living in this world mm-hmm. and to pull off edgy humor is probably one of the strongest feats, right? To not get any passes. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe. I do think trying to make the world better and everyone has a different view as to what that means some people are like it should just be silly and fun and goofy and you should be able to like take a break from everything and then i probably am more on the other side a little bit where like if it's too much that then it's just people constantly like blatantly unaware of all the atrocities they are at least complicit in by being non-active so that like so i think a lot of people in comedy or art or anything are trying to balance that like you know people used to go you know, a band would finish a song. They go, "Hey, just want to say this next week is time to vote. Maybe get out there and vote." Just something that, boo, stick to the music. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, voting in general. That's it, boo. <laughs> people just didn't want to hear. It. And now it's so common that you know people are are aligned and affiliated with like certain. Um, I mean, do, do you think this is a good thing? I was talking to a a very ardent <clears throat> Republican friend of mine the other day. And, um, you know, I, I don't get into politics and in- inevitably we kind of dance along the edge. And he uh-huh. said that, you know, Hey, at the very least the last two years have created engagement. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, 
this is why they're in, in Honduras and El Salvador during elections, they have like a 97% turnout. I'm like, is that, do we want that? Is that what we want in this world is total political engagement? Because I'm getting a little scent of it, a little wafted. The wafty odor is coming my way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that's a great thing. I think, yeah. you know, I think enough civic engagement, but whatever it is, maybe... Maybe it's a little bit more than, uh, you know, the late 90s. Maybe it's a little less than right now. I mean, I think I was fine with the civic engagement during the Obama administration. Maybe it's because we were in the bubble here. But, yeah, I think it's, a, it's gone a little too far. Part of I have a few things I've lately been thinking about in regard to that. One is, as you get, I, I, I just, whenever I hear someone say, and it's always like a guy with a, like a closed mouth and kind of squinty eyes and they're damn it this mat and they'll say things like I'm just trying to save this damn country and it it eats at them the idea that like I gotta do something but I, all I see when I, I just see a little kid playing with toy trucks and like how did, when does that transition happen when is this kid that just oh can I have more juice can I go outside and play like get out there kid and that kid is at some point just barreling toward being someone that is so like withered and dead damn the world someone i think just comes with age and i think when you're younger and maybe i think we're in the same age bracket where you know you the, the adults were always supposed to do it so as we we're in this previous election and everyone's like i hope the youth get out there and vote like i kind of hope they get to just keep being kids need if they you know like they suffered certainly yeah. more like mass shootings and things that make them more aware of hey you you can vote and potentially change this but i the idea that it, you'd have to be immediately engaged the moment you like turn 18 and become part of this mechanism, this heavy machinery that just churns along, get a job, pay taxes, get an IRA, set up a retirement account, get out there and vote. That's the world. And I think kids get to like run out into a field and just be mesmerized and, and caught up in that thing. So some of it, I think, is just the nature of getting older where you know, seniors vote and always have in higher numbers than everybody else. So I think we're just transitioning toward that. And maybe this is the transitional thing. The second part of it I was thinking is that the availability of it, you know, you work in true crime, which you want to get into, it's more accessible than it ever has been. But in the same way that politics, you know, like the West Wing or um, the one that Kevin Spacey got fired House from. Of Cards. House of Cards, where it's, I can't watch a lot of those shows where it's like, all right, we're going to let you destroy that wetland so you can do this, but make this bill happen and kick back this money to this. And like, that's probably always been happening, but it was nice that it wasn't quite so, you know, there wasn't such an awareness of it. And now we're kind of, we kind of know every weird little bill. We know little motions. We know things that come up where, do we need to know all that? Yeah, probably, if we are going to be civically engaged but i did kind of like that oh you've dedicated your life to politics good luck i'll see you when you come to like one of your rallies and i'll hear your ideas and maybe i'll vote for you and you'll rep you represent my community and i'll go on about my life and i'll mm. forget about what you're doing and trust that you're a decent human and those things have sort of merged together in an inseparable way now same way that crime is just so prevalent and apparent now that maybe it just was always one of those things where Oh, that happened three towns over. What was it? And you'd get some sort of um, convoluted version of what had happened. Mm. And now you can get like exactly what happened and just see how common it is and know every how how frequently these sort of people snap in the suburbs and all this weird crap. Like, are you on that social network next door? No, and the people that I know have me- like a 
variety of thoughts about it. They go, I love it, but I also am terrified because you see so much crime happening all the time. Yeah, I mean, and I guess it only promises to get worse with the ubiquity of internet cameras and um, mm-hmm. I, my, <clears throat> I think my, what I've come around to is that and no specialist on this, but of course, commonly known that violent crime has been declining. Um, have you ever heard of that book, The Better Angels of Our Na- Nature, written by that? His name is Steven Pinker. He's a, oh, I know Steven Pinker. I've read The Blank Slate, but I haven't heard of Better Nature of, nature of Our Angels. And the, better, uh, better Angels of Our Nature. Or, yeah, yeah. That's an MLK thing? It's Well, it was a Abraham Lincoln ah, yeah. in his second inaugural address. He's, you know, these ties that bind, we want to, you know, uh, you know, make if we kind of respect our better angels of our nature, we can come together. Paraphrasing the second inaugural of <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Um, anyway, he took that particular line and wrote a book, and he makes this historic, he makes this argument about the historic decline in, in violence. And uh, he starts way back. I mean, he starts, you know, like 3,000 years ago. And he says, you know, when you were, you know, growing up in what, pre-Christian society or, you know, medieval Europe, your, you know, chances of getting killed in a violent way was 25%. And and so he goes through and he just, you know, all the way down to, to where we're at now, going down through the 70s, through the 20th century. And, uh, and his point his big point is we're unnecessarily pessimistic about crime and um because we're just that much more aware of it but we're pessimistic so how do you reconcile those two things historic declines mm-hmm. more less violence with what we perceive to be a declining and deteriorating world mm-hmm. to me there's really only one observation uh, there's only one point to all that, and that is that we've always people have always been this bad. We just never wanted to accept it, and so you know uh, that's you know. And I heard Will Smith say the same thing when somebody talked to him about man, all these cop videos and black people getting shot, and he's like, uh, "This has always happened. It's just that now people have phones to film it with." Yeah. So to me, what this speaks to is. And what has kind of given me solace here in the last couple of years is that, you know, we're, we're at a point of great cultural and societal change. Technology is bringing on things and changing us in ways that we don't even quite understand yet. And because it's so disruptive, it feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that is, that di- kind of discomfort is part and parcel of the world we live in and how it accelerates and where it comes from here, you know, whether we'll be talking about gene engineered humans, synthetic humans, gene engineered, you know, there's, there are all types of things down the line that are Mm -hmm. uh, so alarming and so crazy that's that it would blow every collective fuse of everybody in this country (laughs) if we were like there, but uh, that discomfort is is technology is this kind of this thing that is rearranging the relationships that we thought we knew much like the relationships we have with our elected officials mm-hmm. completely rearranged um, the 
relationships we have with foreign countries. I mean, people, you know, on social networks, taking out ads on Facebook, um, anti-masturbation ads. Did you see that? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, look up some of these um, memes uh, or these ads that the Russian intelligence agencies took out on Facebook during the 2016 election. Uh-huh. Uh, they so uh, they're just so hilarious as to not be believed. <laughs> One of them, uh, you know, about you know anti masturbation. God can see you. I mean, it's really wow, really amazing stuff. And um, yeah, and uh, the ways in which we're fighting wars. I mean, they're they realize there's a culture war. It's a culture war, and um, you know, it, our democracy is set up as such that that can be a very difficult thing to fight you know they don't have that problem in china they don't they don't allow this kind of stuff in Mm -hmm. russia so point to all that is is there's a much larger perspective um uh, a much larger view to be taken uh in the broad sweeps of history to understand the discomforts we feel about the supposed deterioration of our country which i don't really subscribe to i just think it's i think it's more a hiccup than it is a precipitous drop. I like that. A, uh, a couple of things you touched on where I, where I think science fiction has always tried to get a glimpse of, well, if it's going this way, then this is likely a possibility. Um, that movie, The Circle, was just dreadful. But, you know, it kind of is a heightened version, like a poor attempt at sort of a Philip K. Dick, mm-hmm. you know, kind of look at, yeah, imagine everyone's phone just turning on you. Everyone's mm-hmm. rearview camera on their car suddenly focusing on you. Every every ring doorbell looking at you. Every uh, surveillance camera just on a street corner. It's it, You're inescapably locked into the world. Mm-hmm. But then I, I would always zoom back and think, I do this a lot when I'm driving like through the West. I, I drove uh, from Phoenix to L.A., recently you know there's still plenty of open space to look out at there's just only sagebrush and just i always picture a little campfire and someone with like their horse there and they're just a single per a dude it's a single guy just rough like a whether he's going west to be a prospector or work on a ranch or a hired gun whatever but then someone approaches and that's just that little fire it's just you there and then whatever happens between these two or however many people show up to that fire who in the hell could ever trace it? What, you know, bludgeoned, shot, friends, thanks for the coffee, thanks for the food. One of them doesn't wake up in the morning because their throat is cut. And then the next person just takes their horse and moves on with their gear. And no fingerprinting, no sort of witness to talk to, just hopefully like, well, that print in the dirt looks like this kind of horse. Mm-hmm. I think it was that guy. You, there's <laughs> no way to trace it. And so there's just this honor code and or... I just got an uneasy feeling, so I shot that guy. Eh, I probably shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like all of humanity is like a, a large picnic. And that was all. That was pre PCP and things that made people go bananas. And so, thinking of a, a picnic where everyone's hanging out, but there's someone that's just running around and just being a jerk, and everyone's kind of getting their hat knocked off their head or their plate flipped over in their hands, and going, "Hey." That's kind of humanity. Like, <laughs> ah, there just wasn't that guy. Someone do something. <laughs> yeah yeah it's i'm not sure it was ever did you ever did you watch that jane goodall documentary last year Mm -mm. um you know she is a whatever 25 year old woman she's hired to you know come down to 
I think she was in western Tanzania on the shores of I think Lake Tanganyika and she's in this like you know Louis Leakey this famous scientist has hired her and she spends like three years kind of like charting the chimpanzees and giving them names and mm-hmm. familiarizing them so she can get closer and then you know she pours like an extraordinary amount of her efforts into this and then you know, like five years into it, the chimpanzees get in a war with each other and half of them <laughs> kill the other half uh-huh. and they split, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I'm like, and, you know, and it was, it was, you know, she describes it as this like watershed moment in her, like she thought she was, you know, studying and, and learning about these beings that were, you know, had this hidden secret that deserved compassion, that deserved all these human qualities. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, turns to find out that they're equally as violent as we are, <laughs> that they want to kill each other, that some of them hate each other, <laughs> you know. So, I, I you know, I, I guess it's, there's no way to get away from that dark heart thing. I guess I'm going back to kind of a universal theme kind of versus where we're at with a culture. But, yeah, I mean... I don't know. It's it's hard to separate the two. I, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a bizarre gene that seems to be in every species. Like we think of every bear, or maybe like Ferdinand the bull. Like every bull's got to be this, and then Ferdinand's out there like sniffing flowers. Mm-hmm. And then there've been plenty of stories where bears have like walked down and looked over and seen a human like fishing on a river, or just standing there mm-hmm. like. Okay. Maybe they run off or maybe they just kind of confidently walk across the creek, but not every time equals you're a human. I'm barreling toward you and going to eat you. And so the genes that are within every species would be like, man, that like, it, I think we've seen it. And you've seen dogs that are at the dog part that are just jerks. Yeah. You're like, man, that dog sucks. Same thing with cats. You, like I've seen, well, I can't say that I've seen a squirrel be a real jerk, <laughs> <laughs> but I know that's not true. Uh, the squirrel, <laughs> That hangs out in our backyard will just yell at our dog. And our dog will just look at him like, all right, man. He goes, ah, 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 making all these weird squirrel noises. Yeah. Like, He's not my favorite squirrel I've ever been around. I, uh, about two years ago, I, I got a call from uh, a tenant of mine. Um, I manage this building in West Hollywood. And uh, she's like, she calls me, completely hysterical. Um, a squirrel apparently had fallen down a vent pipe uh, from the roof and had gotten into her apart- apartment and mm-hmm. there are pack animals and it started sounding the alarm <laughs> and and so guys i'm in the pipe <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it <laughs> and all of a sudden there's this like just completely adrenalized pack of squirrels kind of outside the door outside the window Whoa. trying to get in i mean you know like people are walking by they're like jumping out at them like attacking running back and you think of it as such a benign animal and uh, when it gets threatened um, all its friends came and it scared everybody like I had to get professionals out there you know know, suits and everything to get the squirrel out of the apartment but um, yeah I I know for a fact that squirrels can be very mean (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that banding together, I, I, I think again going back to comedy, I think a lot of people, comedians or otherwise, when they stumble on this thought that 
kind of like in uh, Independence Day or anything else. We're like, hey, you know who's the real enemy? Someone that's a threat to a threat to our planet, aliens, etc. It's been that's been covered up by the Twilight Zone. Did it, but that thinking that like, say there are these things that have these rolling sort of. Uh, centri- I don't know what they, they, they in uh, like the Matrix they have them they use them these things that like have these weird tenderly kind of arms say there's something like that like just rolling across the the wherever your city the the grounds of wherever you live and just attacking people and not they're not like so overpowering they just destroy people it's like a fight any human seeing that most likely maybe this is too grand or too big of a thought to describe as like articulately, but like all of the factors that would go into it, that one would be like people that deal with anxiety and ah, I'm too stressed out and I got this and that they, all their mental stuff would disappear and it would purely be reacting primitively and running over and like hitting this thing with the broom and maybe the thing go, Hey, ow. <laughs> and then it would use its weird tendril legs and run off somewhere. And they'd grab the person and go, come with me. And I don't think they'd care how that person voted or what their thoughts mm. were on gender, etc. They would just, you're a person and primitively and reactively and instinctually, I saved you, let's go. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think sometimes people think like, that's what humanity kind of needs when we're all just sitting there with like, well, things are pretty good. We all got kind of a place to go. We got things we're doing, but I'm bored. So I'm going to stab you or whatever, yeah. wherever crime comes from, wherever yeah. that just malaise of kind of, just sitting there in a tool shed thinking and like, I got to go kill my neighbor. Like, I, I always wonder where the hell's that come from? How do people yeah. get so bored that that's what their thought becomes? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have the exact answer to that question. But doesn't it seem like with the squirrels rallying, they might've all just been fighting over different acorns and whatnot five minutes ago. And then they hear like, Gary's in the tube mm-hmm. and they all run over. Hey, let him go. It's a good guy. Get him out of that pipe. <laughs> just there at the window. And that's kind of all us. You know, yeah. We'd be honking at people in yeah. traffic. Hey, this guy's bumper yeah. stickers. God damn it. Yeah. And then two hours later, like, I won't let you die, man. Grab my hand. <laughs> Get off him, you tendril yeah. thing. Yes, no, some situations are clearer than others. Some, when there is a, a clear, a clear, clearly bad antagonist, a clearly bad situation in which it's easy to pick sides, that's hardly a battle. (laughs) That's hardly a battle, but it's when it's the, you know, we're in this territory now, most people are in territories where everything's a shade of gray. And so, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, you've got to think got to think hard about what it is that makes separates right from wrong but that's that's not what movies are about <laughs> <laughs> that's it? not what squirrels are about <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been though have you ever been camping and uh, been in a situation of like danger with a large animal where you like instantly you're you know, your kind of brainstem activates and all of a sudden you are kind of reacting like the hominid that you are uh-huh. to avoid danger yeah. from this animal. Like it comes back quick. I'm just saying like you, you get yourself in the right situation and I'm trying to think, I know I've, I've probably in my life seen seven to 10 bears out in the mm-hmm. wild, but never in a way where I thought one time I was in a cabin and we heard a rustling. My dad went and opened the door. And before he even, I mean, it was barely cracked open and my dog just burst through it. And then I 
got scared, like, well, where's he going? So I ran out after him, and before I could even think, I reached, I don't remember how this all transpired, whether I reached and grabbed his collar and then looked up, or if I right out the door knew what was happening, but like eight feet away from me was a giant bear head, mm-hmm. and someone had left a bag of recyclables out there, thinking like, no one's going to bug this, but the bear was just checking it out, like you know, nuzzling it, and so it rattled all the cans, startled everyone, we all, suddenly I'm out there like grabbing my dog's collar, and then, but I remember the look, it was so, I went back this past year, and I would always tell people, like, I think it was like 10 feet. And then I went back this year and stood in the same spot. I was like, it's so close. Mm-hmm. It's so incredibly close where I was. But the bear's face was just like, it was just sort of like, <laughs> these are cans. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, I've locked onto some prey. It yeah. wasn't that. So I don't think those primitive weird things in my brain spiked up like mm-hmm. this is danger. There was another time I was sleeping outside and a bear uh, the bushes all started rustling really heavily and I thought some dogs were fighting. It was like right at dawn and uh, my dog was sleeping next to me and he kind of looked up and he didn't really seem to care and then I crooked up on my elbow and a bear walked out of the bushes and then he just sort of looked over his shoulder at me like, morning. Again, <laughs> like there was no threat at all so mm-hmm. I didn't, yeah, there was never, I've never been faced with it where I was like, okay, heightened awareness and time to save myself. Never. never. Then, yeah. What, what happened with you? I was hiking in the Grand Canyon with my older brother and we were kind of halfway down and we had kind of, we weren't all the way down at the river and we were kind of traversing along and we had camped, camped at this spot that was, I don't know, 1500 feet, 2000 feet above the river. It's kind of on this flat area, midway down out there. Um, and there's one tree and there's a camp spot right under the tree and so we're under that. Mm-hmm. And earlier that day we had kind of gone down one of these washes um, thinking, oh, and stupidly thinking, oh, maybe we can get down to the river, you know. Mm-hmm. As we're walking down and it's like a, a very narrow canyon, we see this like a herd of bighorn sheep. And so there are like two big bucks and there's like, you know, 15 or 20 doe. Like, oh crap, man. Like, they can hear us. They can hear everything. It's like these microphones. Like, yeah. your voices kind of bounce off the side of the canyons. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, well, gotta scurry around. We were with a couple other people. We scurried down. And of course, we couldn't couldn't get down because there was a giant cliff. And so we had to go back. And so we mm-hmm. go back and we could see them kind of getting a little irritated. So we're kind of going back by them. And, you know, I don't know, they're maybe like you know, 30 yards away. Mm hmm. And so we managed to kind of cut this route around the side and we get back and we get back to camp and my brother and I are just sitting right there at the camp and um, all of a sudden kind of up over the hill we see the like the kind of like alpha buck yeah. he comes up and he's like <laughs> like this and I said to Mike I was like I picked up a rock and I was like we either better start chucking rocks at this thing right now Oh, we got to jump in this tree. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at me, he's like, let's get in the tree. (laughs) So, so he jumped in the tree and this guy, he came charging through camp, like right under the tree, right past us. It just, it just did like a buzz by. Yeah. Just shooting, shooting, firing a shot over our bow. Just like telling us whose territory we were in. Nice. Um, But he was serious. Like, uh, you know, 
arguably the the more embarrassing choice to jump up in the tree you know you think no way <laughs> you outsmarted him i never understand how those goats can like stand on the edge of the hoover dam and create yeah. little hooves yeah. and yet you're in the tree there's a safety feeling like you're not getting up here with those goddamn hooves <laughs> that's that's exactly it i mean it's like i guess my i guess the point there is we really kind of you know it, it activates quickly and we're like <laughs> safety in the tree you know we're like right up in there you know i i think it, this was tainted because i was 17 and i don't know how f- scared i should have been or a buddy of mine and i we could we were gathering these cows we couldn't i worked on this ranch and out in these reeds where it was like kind of marshy and wet and these it was like sugarcane stockish kind of reeds they're really tough to bend over we had to go out there and grab this cow and her calf. She had all these abscesses on her neck. She was just wild and like wide-eyed and crazy. She's the worst animal I've maybe ever been around. And uh, so we went out there and we like couldn't get our horses in. So we started walking. And then it was like a horror movie where you'd see like a glimpse through some of the reeds. Mm. Oh, yeah. there goes the calf. Yeah. I think she must be near it. So you'd start traipsing over that way. And then at one point I was walking and my spur got caught and I f- fell over and then she just appeared and her head was like blowing snot was right next to me like trying to stomp on me yeah. and my friend came in and kind of like got her attention got her out of the way and I was so embarrassed I can't get my damn foot out of the weed <laughs> <laughs> but then after that we we could we couldn't rope her we couldn't you know the reeds were there and stuff so we figured out like just getting her to charge at us was the best way to get her somewhere mm-hmm. and so the rest of that summer Anytime we wanted her to do anything, you'd have to jump in front of her and be like, here I am. And then she'd just <laughs> roar at you. You'd jump on the fence. Like, <laughs> so that, I remember there being some fear there, but then yeah. it got to be like kind of fun. Yeah. 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 But that's a, yeah, that weird primitive reaction. Like, yeah. what do we do here? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I think that this is kind of cold comfort. Um, I'm listening to this book right now. It's called, um, it's about the history of humankind. And this guy makes the point that um, human beings, we evolved in Africa. Uh, The largest animals that still exist are in Africa. Uh, He makes the point that we evolved concurrently. So Mm -hmm. larger animals were able to adjust and adapt alongside human beings. That's why we still have, you know, lions and giraffes and a few elephants and all of this, right? Weird to think, though, of little sort of like four-foot-high elephants and then the natural selection just... I always think of natural selection, I think of it's like a purposeful, like, fellas, we got to get bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, we're not hitting our numbers. (laughs) We got to be selling every day. To make a a less humorous point, though, he 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 says that well, you know, with the arrival of humans in Australia forty thousand years ago, we kind of completely wiped out all of the megafauna there, all the large animals there, Mm -hmm. Uh, and this has been pretty much our pattern here for about you know fifty hundred thousand years. So. I, you know, we're inextricably linked to the environment. We have changed the environment. We have killed off dozens of species of animals. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's great that we're not trying to do that anymore, but 
I mean, to th- I, I, I think we need to, to think otherwise. To think that we haven't been doing this ever since we kind of rolled out of the, the rolling hills of East Africa is, I don't know, it doesn't acknowledge a, a human truth. I think people, which is part of my problem with the Democratic Party, is that I think the Democratic Party thinks that we're better people than we actually are. <laughs> <laughs> we are yeah. not these people. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I, I, t- I interviewed this economist a while ago, and the, the the I felt really dumb, like trying to offer up any thoughts on things. Like he has a PhD as well, right. but I think the simplest sort of axiom is like with socialism, you can't force people to work, and with capitalism, you can't force them to be nice. And if we could really recognize <laughs> who we are, that like given the opportunity, people will cheat and steal and lie and chalk it up to like well this is what you have to do or anyone anyone else would do this too and it goes back to like the picnic thing again like not everyone would knock someone's plate out of their hand but those people are not always murderers or they're sometimes they're just jerks and they're good at playing the game so how do we understand what we're doing i think sometimes when i see you know, there's a feeling that like you know if there were no us everything else would just kind of sort of balance out but bears would eat anything they could but they i think they you know, when things are going well, they're reproducing more. The bear population goes up. They eat things to a point where, like, crap, we can't feed everybody. Their population goes back down. Things sort of hopefully balance back out. And then there are fewer bears. Now the other things come back. We don't really have the capacity, it seems like, or we try to regulate ourselves. Like, okay, we've eaten plenty of whatever. <laughs> Guys, the mammoths, yikes. <laughs> we need to scale back everybody. <laughs> but it's only when you levy fines and things like that that people go, okay, all right, fine, I'll stop, I'll stop. Right. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I this, I have a friend who's, um, a, a kind of an African vet, a large animal African vet. He's very pro um, rhino horn trade because mm-hmm. he believes that you should give a market to people. Oh, you can't give a market to that. Oh, no, you have to give a market to it. It's mm-hmm. like. But for an aphrodisiac, I mean, that's the main thing for it, for largely. Yeah. Right? Right. But, uh, uh, you know, his point is um, the ban has resulted in. The rhinoceros is getting rhinoceri, I guess they would be poached to almost extinction. So mm-hmm. we should try a market for this. I, yeah, I don't, like, I don't have the answer to that. But um, I think that kind of coming back to your point about this axiom between socialism and capitalism, there's this, there's this, there's a dynamic to each of them. There's a social dynamic to each, each system. And even in capitalism, you can be an asshole you can be selfish and maybe you'll get ahead, mm-hmm. but maybe no one will want to do business with you. You know, right. there are social dynamics to capitalism as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, some people succeed despite their assholeish nature. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think most people fail because of it. Don't you, man, I would say in comedy, and this is probably coming from Austin where we're snobby. And if anyone had a joke that just was kind of similar, there'd be a lot of, Hey, Hey, that you know that joke, and someone go, oh, okay, and they would change, and then so that's like a, a base level of sort of like honor among thieves of just like you know do your best, be you know earnest. Someone that was out there handing out business cards and hustling and bugging yeah. the club manager every week to try to get spots was usually typically frowned upon. So that's one side of things. The other side is just winning attitude, good smile, killing on stage, even if it's not the most original jokes. In fact, downright like outwardly hacky which has happened a number of times where comedians get very successful because it's 
palatable. It's sort of lowest common denominator, but not always on a base level, on a way where like people go, that's eh, fine. It's okay. Yeah. The snobbiest and snarkiest people are going, this sucks. Someone should have stopped this. But then what happens is that person, not that they're an asshole, but they've become successful by all conventional measures that people stop having anything negative to say about them because one, they don't want to consume themselves with negativity. And two, the success starts to become attractive. So people forget like how the material was uninspired, how it maybe was outright like derivative of something else. And they just go, ah, what are you going to do? This person's successful. They can help me out. They can get me on their show. They can take me on the road. And people start looking past it. I think that exact same thing happens in business where people go, this guy really did like build on that ancient burial ground and he robbed that widow out of all of her money. <laughs> but this golf course is so nice. Yeah. And they start like wanting to do business. It's, he's just savvy. He's a good business guy. Yeah. And so I, I, that's the analogy I would make that I think is from my own personal perspective resonates a little bit. It really, I guess it depends on, it's a philosophical belief on when truth will come out, if it'll come out, mm-hmm. if you believe that bad things can stay, you're like repressed and dormant mm-hmm. in the places that they've they've been kind of tucked away. I'm not, you know, I, I'm sure people people have gotten away with murder. Thirty percent of murders <laughs> go unsolved. Um, but I guess I tend to feel like, and maybe this is my own naivete, I tend to feel like I, my experience of living is that it is beneficial to be more honest with oneself as you, as time passes. And that things that have, things that I've done, made, mistakes that I've made have come back to haunt me in the future. And so I don't know if I'm projecting that on the larger, the world at large, but I feel that things come back to haunt people, like things, situations, sins will get visited upon, visited upon the sons, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, despite the fact that these things happen, um, uh, maybe there is some justice. Maybe there's a little justice somehow. I hope so. I think the only, not qualm, but assertion I would make or or part of that that I would sort of push back on a little bit is like you're speaking from your own experiences in life seen through the filter of your genetics which is a very reasonable person from my limited visits with you and you're not the person at the picnic flipping over plates no and so when when you try to understand or empathize with them it's 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 so difficult you kind of go like I don't even understand the impulse you can see, like, we've all done little things or, you know, things that you go, I regret that, or that was mm-hmm. a, a mistake, or that was bad. But I don't know that people even have the capacity to look back and feel that way beyond just getting caught, beyond like, oh, oh I wasn't supposed to do all those things, including the one that I finally got caught for? Hmm. Okay, I got it. And maybe that comes from parenting, or you know, you'd like to think people yeah. are guided by little bumpers along the way. Hey, don't do that. Stop doing that. Hey, stop. Hey. But maybe just somehow or another, like ethics or whatever else, we just sort of missed them. Or maybe it is just purely genetic. Maybe they're just kind of a sociopath. I mean, these people exist. I'm not saying they don't. Um, and I think there are probably kind of every variation between a complete lack of 
emotion, a complete, a complete lack of <coughs> acknowledgement of somebody else's feelings and pain to, yeah, absolute contrition, absolute guilt, absolute growth, absolute grace. Um, you know, most of us are in between. So <laughs> <laughs> I have, I mean, that touches on something I was just talking about the other day that is, I feel just such a bizarre thing to think and it's a talking point though i think so how are you enjoying this uh nanticoke nectar mandy crest i actually am enjoying it a lot it's um i'm seeing that it's much more has much more alcohol than it actually tastes like it has (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's a smooth drinking it doesn't taste real hoppy it doesn't uh smack you in the face and no. yet it's like 7.4 percent alcohol yeah, yeah so i don't know that you'll want to um <laughs> i'm not gonna fly a helicopter more. after this okay so. good thing <laughs> well if you want to take a break and uh maybe refill a little bit or regenerate and then um continue we'll do the uh, we'll do the uh, the interview we'll cut all this stuff out <laughs> thanks again to Andy Crest is so he was supposed to be here in town and uh, had some complications, wasn't able to make it, but would be nice to see him when and if he's able to get back out here to Los Angeles. In the interim, though, he did send along this beer. There are two more. So hopefully we'll get to more of these Baltimore beers uh, over the course of the next few weeks. Because if you remember from the Iron Triangle episode, letting it sit around for a long time is not great for it. You got to drink it while it's fresh, which I don't luckily I don't know if my palate's good enough to notice when it's not fresh. So we'll see about that. Thanks to those of you who do support the show on Patreon. It's the best way to get access to a little bonus uh, stuff for like two bucks a month. You can hear bonus episodes, behind the scene things, uh, things of that nature. Every now and again, just a little check-in from me. Thanks to Dan for compiling the show and putting it together. And if you have suggestions, want to get in touch with the show, etc., you can email pings at thespacecave.com or on Twitter, space underscore cave. Okay, let's get out of here. This is a song by More More. It's called Passing the Hours. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave.